welcome everybody. Welcome chat room. Welcome Mr. Jason Lingren. Well, good afternoon. Good evening, wherever you may be. Uh, evening for me, uh, but it was actually a really nice day, but we still got no leaves on the trees, which is a bit befuddling. Uh, we had over a month ago last year, the, the trees had leaves, but um, we're going to cover a theory tonight and it is only a theory it needs to be proved out but jason and i are so busy all the time we figured why not introduce it to the community because 400 pairs of eyes uh, is certainly better than two pairs of eyes um, we're going to get into a thing that has to do with the kind of world takeover that everybody is witnessing and we always see playbooks here and there uh, it must have been, I don't know, almost 20 years ago now um, that I began to do research into um, the coat of arms of the British royal family. And I paired it one-to-one -one, uh, with the beasts and the horns and the crowns of everything from the book of Revelation. It was during that research, and I mean it's one-to-one. -one. You can go look it up. Even when a child is born, a new little horn or whatever they call it gets added to the crest. Um, these things match the book of Revelation one-to-one. -one. I was not the first person to discover this, by the way. People were already all over it by the time I was looking all that time ago. Um, but during that research, I discovered, and this is not an easy thing to look up now, that the Queen of England actually uh, claims ancestry from not only Jesus' bloodline, believe it or not, but also Muhammad. I kid you not. Um, very difficult to find this referenced anymore, uh, but I never forgot that because it's pretty astonishing claim uh one might say unbelievable but um as all this kicked off i marked the beginning of the new world of crazy that we're all experiencing right now on march 11 and the reason i mark it as march 11 was that was the first day that it was pretty clear um one flew over the cuckoo's nest and i stayed up past midnight writing a blog which i posted at crow777.com posting after midnight on march 12 which is how I remember that I marked the beginning of this nonsense at March 11. Later on, I began to think, you know, everything we see is pre-echoed. There's playbooks. It's encoded everywhere. They try to usurp uh, authenticity and authority from existing sources. And it began to occur to me, I wonder if they're using the Bible as a playbook. So using intuition alone, what I did is I made a set of rules for myself and said, if I can find these things to be true, I will go down this line of research. So I said to myself, self, let's suppose that the book of Revelation is the playbook, since we're already seeing the pestilence, uh, the made-up pestilence. And let's suppose that 311 is the third book of Revelation, the 11th verse. And I said to myself, if I can find the word corona, crown, or something equivalent in that verse, then I'll go down this line and try to prove out the theory that I have. Lo and behold, I went to the book of Revelation, third chapter, third book, whatever you want to call it, 11th verse. And from the KJV, it reads as follows. Behold, I am come quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your, wait for it, crown. Last word, crown, match my intuition. So I decided, okay, uh, I'll go down and I'll start paying attention. And I got on the phone with Jason and Wayne McCroy because uh, Wayne McCroy is very well-versed in the Bible. And we laid out some ideas. And what I was supposing was that we knew May May 1st is always big. Uh, it corresponds in and around the Beltane, the old 
pagan feast of the Beltane. Um, that echoes all around the Arthurian legend. That's the feast where Arthur sleeps with his half-sister, unbeknownst to him, has the kid Mordred, which ends up doing the kill the king thing that we saw during the Kennedy nonsense. That was a reenactment of the kill the king, um, which is shown in the Arthurian legend when his son Mordred kills the king. Um, anyhow, to get to the point, it became pretty clear that May has always been a big deal in the news in recent eras. And there's a reason why we say things like Mayday, Mayday, I'm going down, which I used recently in an episode image. Maybe it's because we can't say Mason Day, Mason Day. No, I'm making a bad joke. But anyhow, there's the, there's the pre, yeah, no, not really. Not actually, to be honest, not really. Um, but there's the pre layout. Uh, did I drop anything through the cracks before we start moving on, Jason? No, that sounds about like what we went over, and while it's on our minds, we should mention that it would be awesome to find a heraldry expert to assist us with our work. Right. Um, it's gotten very difficult. As, as Back in the day, it was not easy um, when I went to look at the coat of arms to understand heraldry. So Jason and I, just to put it on the record, are officially looking for a heraldry expert. That's probably not even the right word. What we're saying is a person who understands how coats of arms are put together, approved, and what the symbols on the coats of arms mean. Uh, that's what I'm referring to when I say heraldry expert. And I know that's not the right word. I just can't think of it at the moment. Um, but if anyone knows someone who might fit that bill, we'd appreciate an email and we'll, uh, we'll see if we can make a go of it. But anyhow, along this line of reasoning, um, and considering that May has always been a big deal, and we can all see that kind of what's going on in the world, uh, to make a terrible pun, trumps anything in knowable history. What's going on now is bigger than World War II, because in fact, during World War II, there were parts of the world that were not that affected. There are very few parts of the world right now that are not affected. You would have to be in a very remote part of the world to not be affected by what is going on. So historically, we know this is the real deal. It's a big deal. And it's not just a once in a lifetime. This is once in probably multiple centuries when a deal this big will be happening. Um, so to take it up to the theories that Wayne and Jason and I were working on that we're now introducing to all you so you can help us prove if it's possible, if there's any there there. Um, is that May would coincide with Book 5 being the fifth month. Um, and this is when we start to get into the seven seals. Um, you will notice in my last episode image, um, just to put a marker down, a historical marker to prove, because we have, we have not proved this theory to be accurate yet, um, I include, include, uh, included the Four Horses of the Apocalypse in the episode image. And you will notice that the, the, the white horse is pestilence and there's, a, I don't know, I'd have to reread them. I think the red one is supposed to be, um, help me out here, Jason. Well, it's two pale horses, one black horse, and then one, uh, one red horse. And the first and last one were the pale ones, I do recall. So the order they went in. White, red, black, pale, right? I think, so, I think so, yes. So it goes pestilence, oh, it's famine of course, and this lends more credence to the theory. Um, if we do see the food supply chain break down, which there have been echoes all over, that would match the ideas that we're expressing. Um, and part of what we did right out of the gate, which added steam to the idea that this could be a thing, um, that these crazy nutbags that do these types of things in our world are pairing it off to something as well read as the Bible. Um, and by the way, I'm not gonna accept that it's the other way around. Um, these people are usurping. 
These people are looking for authenticity in places where they don't deserve the authenticity, from my point of view. Wayne realized that uh, Israel had put a request to whoever the hell you put a request in to kill an animal, um, that they wanted to do a sacrifice uh, on the Temple Mount, which they were denied. But apparently, last time we looked, they are doing the sacrifice of a lamb, hint, 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 um, on the 7th, I think it is, of May. And that starts to fit the narrative, too, because there are a number of hours in front of us here in the United States, which would put it back um, to the 6th for us. Revelation book 5, verse 6 would be, And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all earth, so there's another close match with Wayne digging up the uh, sacrifice, which was first put on the table back when we did the James True episode. So there's all that, Jason. Right. So what we are trying to do is use the actual chapters and try and follow along with the dates. So what I mean is chapter five, one would be May 1st. And we started looking at news items to see if anything matched up in that. And uh, let me actually jump down to that. So if we look at 5.1, that was, And I saw on the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written with, written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. The next day would be, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Now, I'm not going to keep reading through this, but you get the general idea. Each one of these would correspond to a day. And we're looking through the news, and I'll tell you that... Even with these, uh, with the mainstream stuff, things are getting very hard to find. It's like they just send you on wild goose chases at this point every time you try and do some kind of, especially Google kind of search. Well, there's another part of this too. A few years ago, it was easy to do this kind of thing because, as you pointed out, it would be right in the headlines. They began to hide it. But what better place to usurp your fake authority from than something like the Bible. How many people in the world are familiar with that? There's the pre-echo of all time. Um, I don't think there's a book in the world more read than the Bible. If there is, um, it would be astonishing. Uh, and so we see these things. But let me jump down here. Uh, let me mention while uh, Crow, or, uh, yeah, Crow, while Rose just brought it up to me that people have been asking about the color episode. It's episode 97 because we've been referencing it quite a lot. Oh, The Mysterious World of Color, which we've referenced a couple times recently, is episode 97. I've gotten emails. I had to send Rose a few of them. I finally stopped and dug it up, and I started to answer them myself. But episode 97 plays into anything to do with cymatics that we've covered, anything Walter Russell, anything magnetism, anything to do with the actual true frequencies that make our world um, in other words, if you can show a wave, what we'll call a wave doing one thing, it's relatable to color. It's relatable to sound. It's relatable to light. It's rela Everything is relatable. That's the idea here. And that's very different from the wonderful world of Dalt Wisney. <laughs> um, yeah, you got to wonder where he's going to play. Um, but anyhow, <laughs> my, my, our, our hope in bringing this up was that people would pay attention and see if it looks like they're matching up to this once in a multiple hundred year event where damn near every corner of the world has been enveloped by what's happening here, opens up with um, 
what's the biblical word? Pestilence. So in, in the book of Revelation, the first big thing has got to be pestilence, which is the white horse. If you guys recall back, what started both Wayne and I thinking about this was they way, way, way before this all came to be a big deal, um, they showed this bus getting the British people out of China um, because, of course, there was going to be a pandemic in China. And right on the front of that bus was a big white horse. I saw it. Wayne saw it. Lots of people saw it. Oh, come on. (laughs) Yeah, we we were already thinking uh, along these lines. But think about it. So if the white horse is pestilence and then the red horse is famine, um, it does kind of match what we see. But it still needs to be proven. This is just a theory. This is just based on the idea of all this stuff that goes on in our world. We always find a script. We find pre-echoes. We find it in movies. But this is the, the big one, isn't it? This is going for the whole enchilada. So does it make sense that they would use something like the biblical narrative to try to authenticate their nonsense, to fool people into thinking, oh, wow, um, those predictions made in Revelation, they're true. Look, they're actually happening in the world. I will suggest vehemently that it's the other damn way around, that you have some black hearts in this world leveraging their agenda against a thing that already exists. Um, That's the way that I accept the possibility here um i don't know what would you add jason all right so we should probably keep looking at the way these things are going down the idea here is that we're already seeing the pestilence okay this is this is what actually really got us thinking about this the pestilence of course is the beer bug that's what's going on right now what are we hearing about now in in the mainstream uh crackhead not real news well we're hearing about possible interruptions in the food supply well, why would that be? That's not even possible. The United States alone could feed the entire world. Everybody knows this who has half a brain in their head. So for there to be any interruption means it has to be deliberate. And that's just with grains, corn, wheat, all that. There's so much farmland, it's ridiculous. Sometimes farmers get paid not to grow because it's too much. So any concept whatsoever that there is a famine coming is absolutely, without a doubt, you can bet your left hand on it, contrived beyond all belief. Right. And so the rules that I generally use, and I've told you how I began to decide whether there was anything to taking time to research this idea, this theory, um, to try to prove it out, was I made rules around 311, which I correlated to the the third book of Revelation on the 11th on the 11th scripture, on the 11th verse. Um, And so Wayne came up and he matched pretty closely the slaughtering of the lamb, which corresponds to Revelation 5, 7. Uh, It will happen on the 7th. Actually, it's 5, 6, but it happens on the 7th. But that's a number of hours in front of the United States. Um, That's a little bit of a stretch, but not a lot of a stretch for me, because that means they're prepping on the day before. So I think that's still a hit. Um, the other things that we see is the pestilence idea, which is the first horse, the um, famine idea, which is the second horse. For me to think there's any real value here and to look at it more seriously, I think you need to have about six or seven spot on, uh, inarguable, you're not stretching in any direction hits. Um, so the 311 thing, that's a spot on hit. I made the rule, if the word crown's there, I'll think about it. The word crown is there. That's a spot-on hit. What Wayne came up with, with the sacrificing of the lamb, that's a slight stretch because it's verse 7 and not 6, but still it's a pretty spot-on hit. 
Um, so if people want to look at this and see if it looks like this is what's going on, uh, if it could be proven that in fact the people have the cojones to do something like this, uh, it gives a whole view into what comes next because how many people don't know what the book of Revelation is about? This is going to go into the tribulation and all this hell unleashing in the world and everything else. And there's actually a lot more to this because I've been doing a lot of research on the Vatican and some of the things that I've been finding are just astonishing. Um, and it relates back to the, the tribes of Israel after the Temple of Solomon was thrown down, which, by the way, think of all the trouble the Temple of Solomon has caused in our world and all the, all the trouble it still caused. Do you know that thing stood for 40 years, basically for the life of Solomon? Very few people remember or recall or study the Bible in a realistic way to understand there were two kingdoms. There was the kingdom of Judah, which was basically the tribe of Judah, and I think the other one was Benjamin. Hope I have that right. And then all the rest of the 12 tribes were the kingdom of Israel. For almost the entirety of Israel being in what's called Palestine, their temple was in a place called Shiloh. Now, for people who don't recall, there's rules about the temple. There can only be sacrifices there at that one temple and tithing. So all these other places of worship are kind of like stand-ins. The real stuff, according to their religion and their rules, can only happen at the temple. So when that was thrown down and Nebuchadnezzar hauled all the, first the Israelis off, and then about a year later all the, Judea, the, the, the kingdom of Judah off, when they came back, um, from that captivity in basically what people call Babylon, uh, a guy named, um, what's his name? Jason Easy. Ezra? Ezra, thanks. Um, a guy named Ezra basically rewrites the Bible, puts it back together because he was known as a biblical scholar. Um, now, in this time, they recombine the priesthood, which had to come from the Mosaic line, from Moses' line. Now, there's a whole story there I'm not going to get into, and it's a bit stunning. But suffice it to say, 24 families are put back together in the priestly line. And that also relates to the opening books, probably, of um, the 24 elders and things like that that are going on. The point is, is if, if any of this is correct, it shouldn't be too difficult to start to match world events in a real way to show, and if it could be shown to be feasible, then you can look a couple weeks ahead. Some of the problems you're going to run into is the weird thing about the book of Revelation when you compare it to other books of the Bible, and as an example, I'll use chapter 5 or book 5. Um, there's only 14 verses. That doesn't cover a full month. But people should bear in mind that, that ideas of numerology, basic numerology that we have, you could consider the 14th verse as the 5th verse or something like that. You see 1 and 4 equal 5. Um, there could be something like that going on. There could be other things going on. There's, there's so many ways to look at this. But I think it's useful for people to look at these ideas to see. And if it could be shown, I mean, can you imagine having more balls than, than doing something like this? I'm just saying. Two balls? One, yeah, 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 two balls and a cane maybe. Um, yeah, exactly. May, taking one of the biggest religious texts in the world and tying your kind of tyrannical nonsense to it, that takes some, well, I'll just call it what it is, chutzpah. So, all right, looks like we may have gotten some of the horses wrong, but 
I don't think that matters so much. War is definitely red. Big surprise there, right? But uh, it looks like... Oh, yeah. The second horse is... Okay, yeah. Okay. I should have looked it up before I talked. White horse is first, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So if he has a bow, I would be thinking about December, but go ahead. All right. Second seal is... And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So that's kind of the war idea, right? And when he opened the third seal, I heard the beast say, Come and see, and I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. Ah, there's the pestilence. I had it backwards, sorry. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast, blah, blah, blah. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. And here, I'll finish that one for you and destroy the current empire and install the new world order. There you go. (laughs) That's how we're going. By the way, I didn't mean pestilence. I meant famine with the one with the scales, which would be, I guess, the third horse. Um, We've been looking at so much stuff, it's just hard to keep straight. And by the way, when you start to get into the breaking of the seals, it gets complex quick because on some of the seals, there's like seven trumpets. I mean, people are familiar. Um, But the point is, um, is it possible that this worldwide narrative, which is covering damn near every corner of our world, is pulling from one of the most read books in the world and do they have the nuggets to tie their little narrative to the supposed end times narrative um i'm just saying and if they do then you know if it could be shown in some meaningful way then you can kind of show what happens next and that might blunt a little bit of the game that's being played but what's what's kind of baffling about this whole thing and jason and i have talked about this is if they were actually tying their script to this book, um, it would be ironic to say the least, because in this book, I've read it a number of times and I read a number of versions. And guess what? The bad guy loses, <laughs> right? Jason, am I wrong here? Pretty sure the bad guy loses. <laughs> well, that's the big joke. And even as a child, I, I read this and like, so this seems a little dumb because if God is supposed to be omnipotent and omniscient, and this is about as boiled down as I could possibly make it, God is almighty and all powerful and all that kind of stuff. What does anything that was created by this God, how could it even possibly think it could stand a chance to defeat such a thing? It doesn't even make sense. So obviously, the bad guys lose. Well, not only that, you know, if you go, I've got so much research in my head right now um, around these kinds of ideas, where where the Bible began, where the Vatican began, who wrote what, um, the Jewish temple, which is huge. Um, And the reason the Jewish temple is huge, and I can't state this enough, it was around for the life of Solomon. This thing that's like dominated um, religions of the Western world forever was around for the life of one guy, supposedly. Um, And yet all of Freemasonry is based on that damn temple. I kid you not. Um, If you go through and look at the Masonic steps, like in... um, York rights or in Scottish rights. Scottish is really the powerful one. Some people try to act like York's really not around, but I think it is. Point is, is the 13th degree uh, in, I think, Scottish rights. Hope I'm getting all this right. I don't have it in front of me. Is where you go to the Royal Arch. 
But if you look at the rights and what they're concerned with, first off, every Masonic Hall is standing in for Solomon's Temple. The whole story is based on the building and the murder of Hiram Abiff at Solomon's Temple. Every rite that they reenact could be viewed as what the priestly class in Solomon's Temple would have been involved in. It never ends. Um, so it goes to show uh, the overwhelming reach and importance of a thing that lasted for, as far as I can tell, about 40 years. The vast majority of the time, that temple was at Shiloh. People can go back and do the research to look at this. Um, but when you begin to realize, um, how, why has this been important for so long? Well, clearly they knew some secrets. There's no other way around it, is there? Uh, you can bluff for so long before someone calls your bluff and you have to lay down your hand. And either you've got your four aces or you're bluffing. And if you get caught bluffing, then the value of what you were trying to make value gets lost instantly. So from my point of view, they must have been holding four aces. After all, the temple gets whacked. Nebuchadnezzar hauls them off. They don't get killed. They're in all these important positions. And then eventually they're allowed to come back to reestablish um, the, the Judaic religion. And then the whole thing happens over again with Rome. Rome comes in and whacks them. And lo and behold, the priestly class seems to have been taken right up into the Caesar's family. Um, so what is it that they knew that they were bargaining with? What was so critically important? There's something to it. And I can't tell you what it is. But the point is, it's dominated so much of Western culture. And these are more reasons why I would not be surprised if people who pay attention can somehow tie this narrative that we're watching unfold in front of our eyes to a book like Revelation to the point, well, that if it can be proved, that that, that opens up a bunch more questions. But I, I guess I'll let that alone for now. Well, we could also go into just where is all this coming from and why do we have things like the Freemasons using their their whole template, I guess you could say, uh, becoming being taken from Solomon's temple. Like, why is this so important? Where is this coming from? Well, it's coming from the Egyptian, right? And everything they have done from the beginning all the way up has used the the same symbology. So we could probably even pull up the, the little mortarboard thing that, that we've uh, talked about briefly before and break it down and show you like, hey, this is what these people think and know. And you probably do get a little bit of information about what is what as you get up in the ranks, but you probably don't find out the true stuff if there is anything to be had until you get to that all-important 33rd degree. Right, and you know, there's other sides to this. I mean, why is it that, that the Masons act like they're up to something else? No, I'm sorry. We understand at this point that it's all about Solomon's Temple. That's a Jewish religion, and it's also the same religion that makes up the Old Testament. Why do we fake like that's not true? Why don't we openly just say, hey, man, the tribes of Judah had some important information. And that's another thing um, that's kind of troublesome about this whole thing. Like I've mentioned back in the day there were actually two kingdoms, the kingdom of Judah, which was the tribe of Judah, and I think it was Benjamin. Hope I got that right. And then there were all the other 12 tribes. Um, what was it? that made the small tribe, the insignificant tribe, the one that ended up mattering. Well, for one thing, King David comes from the tribe of Judah. But this is this is going to be kind of a barn burner, um, the line of research I'm going down, because I think I'm going to get to a point where I can show that every time you've seen a lion in a coat of arms, you're basically looking at the tribe of Judah. Um, it's crazy things to think about, but I think I can back it all day long. 
using accepted historical records to do so. Um, if that's true, if all of that was true, and I'm certain some of it is, at this point I know some of it is, um, why is it hidden? Why is it always crypto? Why can't these things come out into the light of day? And I think the only answer to that is because they're dark. If they're not dark, then you roll them out in the light of day and you call a thing what it is. You don't rename it something else or hide where it came from and all these things we see going on. And so for my part, it almost appears to me that there was a Judaic or Hebraic tradition that came out of Egypt that was much different than what came back after the captivity in Babylon. And what came back had a dark side to it. That's what it appears. I don't know how you ever prove a thing like that, but what I'm telling you is the Bible got rewritten when they came back uh, by a guy named Ezra, the old parts of the Bible. And there is so much in all that that is now coming to light. And it's actually astonishing because back in the day, like maybe 10, 15 years ago, if you wanted to get books to do research on this, you had to know a lot and you had to put a lot together to get anywhere. There are fantastic books by fantastic authors now who are basically just stating it outright. Like we've grown up a lot more and we know all these things now and we're not going to fake like they're not true. Um, and so that kind of adds to what we can know. Um, but I think it'll be interesting to see uh, with all the people in the community, those who give a darn, who take a look to see if we can tie uh, the narrative to this supposed time of tribulation. It's the ultimate poke in the eye, isn't it, for someone to come and try to usurp authority of a story that's been around for Lord knows how long. Let's uh, take a moment to talk about our super chats here. Queen M. Taro and Cody, both of you, thank you so much. Uh, we also have a question with a super chat. Thanks, Matthew Ross. Have you noticed that tigers are in the headlines a lot lately? The year 2022-222 is the year of the tiger. There is something to this? Yeah, there's there's always going to be something to the year. Um, when Jason and I were proving that nukes didn't exist as described, uh, the rooster became a big part of it. For those that followed myth or uh, hoax busters uh, on YouTube, um, he broke it out very pictorially to show why it's important, and this has to do with Freemasonry as well. The rooster is a critical symbol, but it's part of the problem here is the amount of things you've got to know to be able to draw the lines. Very few people are aware that the rooster, as the example that I'm using here, is considered the most electric of animals. Part of that is why does a rooster crow when the sun comes up? Well, I'll tell you why. Because it's announcing the sun's coming up and the sun's electric. Um, in the older occulted knowledge, they knew things like this that we've kind of lost track of in the modern age. But the point was, we realized we could tie the idea of the rooster to the Masonic concerns that were pushing the hoax nukes. Um, and we went back and lo and behold, what did we find? It was the year of the rooster when Hiroshima happened. So to answer in a, in a more abridged version, the year always matters. Those years have a name for a reason. And the thing that they are named after has a meaning and a reason. And it also shows more, more easily seen in the Asian versions that time is cyclical. Because in that way of thinking, we've had the year of the rooster and so much more time will go. We'll have the year of the rooster again, informing you, in fact, that time is cyclical. Here in the West, we've lost track. We all kind of act like time is linear. Uh, from my point of view, that could not be farther from the truth. And what's going on right now, 
from my point of view, is based on people who have good records of our historical past, who understand that wherever we are in this cycle, that cycle happened before, and if you know what happened in that previous cycle, you begin to understand the possibilities that are present in the current cycle. And I know that's kind of complicated to think about, but there's all that. What else you got, Chase? Well, I just found a really good Masonic tracing board. I'm going to drop this here so you can look at it as well. And we could probably take a good stab at breaking some of this down. Did that work for you? Yeah, I got it. Let me load it. All right, I'm going to put that in the chat room as well, just so folks can have it as well. Oh, it's not going to work. I got it. Oh, not for them. Uh, yeah, could, I can't give... You got to get the image. I got to get the know. image, yeah. Oh, wait, you can't do that either, can you? All right, so I guess that's... You can work. put you can put the link in the chat. And it's too big. And open it up. Oh, it is? Yeah, they only, they only give you so many characters. Let me see if I can get a smaller version. But anyway, uh, you can see it, right? Because yeah. there's so much crap on this. <laughs> you know, this led to when I did the the possibility that there's either a source for the sun or a doubled sun. Yeah, I um, if you go back to these tracing boards, you'll always see a light source with the all-seeing eye or the eye of God. Quite often, the six-pointed star is encoded with other stars, so they don't draw the lines, but they put where the points of a six-pointed star would be. But always the sun and moon are there. Quite often in these tracing boards, you'll see the light come through clouds, hit the sun, the sun will go down and hit a lens or a mirror, and it just keeps getting reflected around till it gets down to, to the world. And in these Masonic tracing boards, there is so much Im uh, information, so much. And for a person who's not initiated, you're not going to be able to deduce it all. We have gotten into the information age, so a lot of this is becoming known. And the truth is, many of the previously secret Masonic texts have been acquired and published online from time to time, which furthered this. Not only that, the Masons themselves, like that book that I got for Jason and myself, basically printed a book not too, too long ago talking about all these things that used to be wholly secret. But when you're looking at this, it is overwhelmingly apparent that Egypt is important and that the Jewish Temple of Solomon is important. And the line between those two places is as obvious as the nose on your face. That would be Moses, the story of Moses. And that story may become critical in some of the research um, that I have to decide whether we present it um, as I currently know about it now or, or whether we do something else with it. Um, as we move through this, but what else were you going to say about the tracing board, Jason? Well, there's just there's so much here, <clears throat> and we can we can really break down. Uh, first of all, there's four pillars, not just two, which is very significant because usually you only talk they only talk about two pillars. But doesn't the Bible itself mention the four pillars of the earth? Well, that goes back to Jewish traditions. I recently saw that uh, in the oldish Hebraic kind of depictions of the world, it shows a flat earth but it shows a crystalline sphere for each of the luminaries. And to this day, that is within the Hebraic Jewish tradition. Now, it shows the ground. There's waters above the crystalline structures or the firmament, and there's waters below. There's a thing called, it's not Sheol, uh, it's not the guff, maybe it's Sheol. Sheol. Um, there's one place for the, yeah, Sheol, I think it's called Sheol. There's another one called the guff where the souls are collected or something like this, but Sheol's like the idea of hell where the people are below, but like there's these gates through the firmament, two gates where water could come through, and then below the ground where people walk and stand, there's a couple gates that could let water up. 
Um, and to this day, if you search, you can find um, this very old rendering of what the Jewish idea of a good description of this place would be. And for my money, I think it's much closer than NASA's ever given us, to be frank about it. Well, even this, it's got a dome covering everything, including the all-seeing eye, mind you. You would think that would be outside of the dome. But no, the all-seeing eye is under the dome, and then you have your sun and your moon. So therefore, the implication here, if this is the four pillars of the Earth, that this is all under one thing. And whatever God or whatever the all-seeing eye is supposed to represent is above us, with the stars, no less, because the, there are three, seven stars... There's that seven again. Uh, so the that, that's the, yeah, that's the six pointed star though, with with the central point marked as the kind of foci, like the sun is represented. Right, and then um, of course we have the black and white board, which is supposed to represent good and evil and the balance thereof in this world. We have the book with, of course, their, their square and compass. There's actually some symbols on this particular one I found that I don't know what they all are. I'll have to look. I mean, I've seen them, but I'd have to look them all up again. The I, there's the a lot idea, going on here. Yeah, but below the tessellated playing board, which we would know better as a checkerboard or a chessboard, is a coffin. Um, this is the idea that during initiation, to actually become illuminated or know things, you have to go through death, whether symbolically or otherwise. This is repeated over and over and over. Um, but you see, this is the whole point. I maintain to this day that all the secret societies are based on sub-subset or version of the Elysian Mysteries. So all these other mystery schools, it's all basically around the same thing. And then when you get up to modern-day masonry, they're echoing back to what I consider to be corrupted versions of that original knowledge. But there's no getting away from the fact. Like, if you've ever held a Masonic Bible, you will notice those are Egyptian. That's not um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit biblically represented. That would be the Egyptian equivalent, Isis, uh, Osiris, Horus, these ideas. But the line between Palestine or the Holy Land and Egypt is Moses. That's the line. Um, and even those who have studied biblical scholarship will understand that the high priests of the Jewish temple had to come from the Mosaic line. Now, there was a shuffle around to convince us all that Moses' older brother, I think he's older, Aaron, who I think was trained by Moses, is actually the root of that priestly line. And while there was an Aaronic, if that's the right word, for Brother Aaron's priestly line, uh, I think what's actually happened is they hid and then obscured the Mosaic line to the point where if you try to do research on Moses, you can't tell for sure who his parents are. Is it possible he was a royal Egyptian or was he truly a Jew? You can't prove it. I've done it a number of times and there are people with opinions going both ways but factually, unarguably, you can't demonstrate it one way or the other. But what you can demonstrate is that in the biblical account of Moses, Moses marries a Midianite lady and has children. Now, with the Bible alone, that becomes very obscured. Um, but if you use other sources, including Jewish sources and other sources outside of that, like apocryphal books, he had a number of children. But here's the rub. Whether or not he's... Jewish in the first place is up for grabs. Could be he's from the royal Pharaonic family. Nobody knows for sure. But even if we're to say he's Jewish from birth, he married a Midianite lady and all his offspring were half Midianite. 
So automatically, the rules to become Jewish don't apply to all the Mosaic line, because the rules to become Jewish, um, which were reestablished by Ezra after the captivity of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar, state, here's what he did. When they came back, he was worried that Jewishness was going to get lost and that their temple all they knew in their temple was going to get lost. So he said, we're going to reestablish the priestly line so we can have a high priest and all these priestly families to maintain all this important stuff we did in the temple. He said, so if you were not, if your mother is not Jewish, then you're not Jewish. That was the first rule that was codified. Another rule was all you people in Babylon who married other women who were not Jewish and had other children, you have to walk away from that now or you're out of the priesthood. And that's how they settled on the 24 families. Um, it's a hell of a story, and I kind of feel like I'm giving a ridiculous history lesson here. But all these things are the narrative that leads up to so many important things in our world. I mean, that's why I think it's important to at least have a good overview of it. Well, there's a good possibility, and I know folks, not, maybe not all folks will want to hear this, that the story of Moses was mixed up with some others, uh, particularly it could be the story of Osiris. Uh, also, Romulus and Remus also kind of have the similar put in a basket and sent down the river thing, uh, just like Osiris when he was killed and put in the coffin. And I, I'm not going to tell you guys the whole thing, but there's there's very sim similar things. And we're talking about the same rough region. And goodness knows how many things interacted in, in the long ago past. And one kind of went to the other one. Well, quite often what I've noticed is like someone like Moses, who's so critically important to two religions that make up a lot of the world, how is it that you can't prove uh, who his parents were, whether he was Jewish or Egyptian or what was he? I think part of what goes on is whatever the truth is, they don't want it communicated forward, and then they use these existing archetypes. We can show the baby in the basket down the river through a number of different, very famous, old, old accounts. So it could be that, and I can show uh, using biblical sources and down to the verses, because that's kind of what I've been doing lately um, with the Vatican research, that they actually redacted information about the survival of Moses' family. In the Bible, what happens is God says, you blew it, Moses, come with me. Look, there's the promised land, but you've blown it. You're not going any further. And then the next verse says, and he was buried. Well, if you read it, kind of seems like Moses was there alone with God. So who buried him? But if you really dig in, the Mosaic line goes beyond that account. Um, and it's crazy. Uh, it's not really arguable when you really dig in. It goes against tradition. It goes against what the dude in the black dress wants to tell you. But I'm sorry, we have these references from scripture, from other religions, from apocryphal books, from people we can't trust like Josephus Flavius, um, who's a key player in all this. Uh, Josephus Flavius is clearly a double agent to anyone in the world. He's clearly a liar to anyone in the world. Um, but to the Jewish people, he's a traitor because everyone supposes he gave up the temple treasure to the Romans to save his butt. And then lo and behold, Titus Flavius and the Flavius royal family adopt. That's how Josephus gets the name Flavius. So there again, there's a Jewish dude taken up into the royalty for some reason. Um, it goes on and on and on. But the point I was going to make about Moses is not only do you not have a solid story of how did he come to be, who were his parents, but then you get this mythical 
baby in the basket story told. The problem with that is that story has been told a number of times, as Jason just pointed out. So it almost seems like what happened is this important figure had part of his story redacted and then myth backfilled where they'd redacted out the story. Um, but how do you ever prove something like that? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It, let's let's not forget the whole problem is probably that no matter what went on, Rome came along and just did whatever the hell they wanted, whether they fabricated the majority of this or whether they took things from the past and rewrote it and made themselves look good, I like the whole Romulus and Remus thing. I, two babies being raised by a wolf is obviously ludicrous and it's symbolic. It's not a literal thing. Uh, I bet my left foot on that. But Rome did what Rome wanted to do. And of course, what is Rome today? But the Vatican is we're always saying. There's the, this is the crux of the modern world's woes. Uh, the Vatican is the big boy on the block. And apparently it has been for Lord knows how so long. But here's, here's where the rubber meets the road. Can anyone out there actually tell me verbatim fact from the history that must exist how did the roman empire become the vatican how did it happen i got news for you you can't do it and what the vatican tells you is the first pope was clemens but he's actually not because they're going to claim peter is the first pope though there is zero historical evidence for it zero none nothing and then they then they use paul you know it's peter and paul and there's problems with both of these people to the point where they don't even know for sure where they died. If you look at the accounts and the scriptures and all these things. But what here's what happened. All over the world there was Christianity. There was no central authority over all this dispersed Christianity. All these enclaves of Christianity. The first pope called Clemens. And here's another rub. He's either Jewish or he is Roman kind of nobility. Now, you can't prove it either way. If he was Jewish, the name Clemens was pulled from the Roman nobility that allowed him to live and bolstered him into that position. If that's not correct, then he is from the Roman nobility. And I think the previous is probably correct. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. So this man, Clemens, claims that the first pope, who's the Peter of the Bible, handed the authority to him. There's no proof of it anywhere, but here's the astonishing part. Clemens basically issues letters all over the world basically saying, I am in charge of every Christian everywhere now. So it went from there were Christians all over the world to all of a sudden there's this thing called the Vatican and this guy called a pope who can't prove anything about his lineage. And we can't even really say how Rome died and the Vatican was born because there's a gap in what we're told. Um, all of a sudden, this dude's issuing bishops out to all the disparate Christian areas. And this matches verbatim uh, how the Jewish temple, how the high priest at the Jewish temple ran things. It goes on and on and on. Um, I kind of feel like we're getting far afield here, though, Jason. No, not necessarily, because what we're ta talking about, a lot of these things, again, this is all tying back to Egypt. If a secret society has existed for God knows how long and all their stuff ties back to Egypt. It seems that Egypt is the place where a lot of this started. The symbolism is still coming from there. And then the, the hypothesis, I guess, would be that Judaism came next because th there are things mentioned about being Jewish as part of the rights of Freemasonry. So that what we can it's, learn is, is very telling about all this. 
it, it seems to me like the, the logical thing would be that when the Jews were in Egypt, they picked up some pretty important knowledge. But here's the other, here's another side of the coin that you've got to consider. Actually, there are pretty good accounts of the Elysian Mysteries, what's called the Elysian Mysteries. And a lot of people have problems with the way I'm saying it, but I'm sorry, that's how I learned to say it. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. It's not for sure what the actual steps of the mysteries were, although quite a bit is known, and a number of very famous and antiquity authors wrote about it to a person. They said this, the Elysian mysteries were open to everybody if you could prove you were not a criminal or a murderer, even to the point where one Roman emperor wants to get initiated and they say, sorry, you got blood on your hands. You can't be initiated. And here's the thing. It's claimed it didn't matter if you were a man, a woman, a child of, I forget the age, by the time they're old enough to do it, it's not very old, or a slave. And the overarching idea between the lesser Elysian Mysteries initiation and the greater initiation, the lesser happened in the spring, then I think there was two parts to the greater initiation in the fall, hint, 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 all around the God series, which is where we get the world word serial, hint, hint, hint. And all around Persephone being sucked to the underworld by Pluto and probably raped goes on and on. But my point here is every account we have says the reason that those mysteries and the initiation was open to everyone who was not a criminal or a murderer is because it made society better. That's universal. It also makes the claim over and over, even up into Cicero's time in Rome, that every person that went through the initiation no longer feared death was one of the claims often made, and they also strived to do their best in this lifetime. These were the claims around the Elysian Mysteries, and while we know masonry somehow ties to that, what's going on now is very different, and it seems to be very corrupted, and on the face of it, it's not for everybody, is it? You know, and, and I think these are important things to think about. It seems like all these things that are secret and secret society-oriented at one time Almost anyone in society could have gained access to this knowledge and initiation because the idea was it was something about the natural world, what happens to us when we die, and the whole of society benefited. And not only that, in the Elysian Mysteries, the officers, over half of them were women. Um, and not only that, even some slaves held officer positions. That's how all-encompassing um, the, the offering was to every member of society that wasn't basically a criminal or a murderer. And that's a hell of a thing to consider compared to what we see now. And we should probably mention some of the things that they would talk about in these mysteries because Freemasonry does make the claim that it helps you to become a better version of yourself and help to, uh, shall we say, achieve enlightenment or help you follow the light. Masons are always chasing the light. And... The Elysian Mysteries actually seemed to, to do that more for, for real. Like there wasn't so much the secrecy because it was about being a better person. As you just said, they weren't old, they were only interested in somebody if they were a decent human being. If you, if you were a piece of shit, they weren't going to have you. Well, it was almost like there's this line. Um, if, you're, if you're labeled a criminal, then you're not valuable to society by, by the interpretation of the day. But if you'd murdered, that was a bridge too far. As a matter of fact, um, even a person who was a criminal could be told, you don't qualify because you're not up to snuff here. You go back 
and you can come back in three or four years and prove that you've become a better human being, and then we'll evaluate whether you can go through the lesser um, initiation here. And anyone can look up. Uh, I've forgotten the name. There's an... When Rome came to be, one of the Caesars um, wanted to take the Elysian Mysteries. That's the other thing. The Elysian Mysteries had to be in Elysia, um, in that area. It was critically important. And so one of the Roman muckety-mucks wanted to haul it all over to Rome and usurp the whole thing. But he was informed doesn't work that way because the whole of the initiation is tied to the very land and the mountains and everything that's there. Um, so he gave up on it. And, but there was a time when anyone who was anyone in Roman society had to go through the Elysian mystery. Um, and that brings us to the story of the guy, I can't remember which, which ruler it was, said, yep, I'm going to go get me some initiation. And they said, not so fast, murdering boy. You got red on your hands. You can't go through this. And what's ironic about that is is it's not like he sharpened up his sword and said, oh, yes, I can. I'm the emperor. He said, that sucks, and he walked away. Hmm. We've only got a few minutes left here, so do we want to go over what we released yesterday and what we have coming up this week? Uh, go ahead. So yesterday, of course, we released an Austin on uh, yeah, an episode <laughs> on biomagnetism with a gentleman named Austin. Uh, I thought it was actually quite interesting, and he's got some extremely – Effective techniques that he's learned, and apparently this is common enough for you to go do it. You just have to want to open your mind to do it, which is awesome. So I, I would love to find out if I have one leg shorter than the other, or one foot shorter than the other, however he was describing it. And I bet you that that really does make your overall balance just feel better. I mean, it would probably straighten you out, I would think, right? Well, there's been a number of emails to me, and the name's eluding me, but I have at least 10 emails of a guy who apparently wrote the book on magnetism, people are saying that we should look at him to get him on, which I'm more than open to do. Um, the, anything that helps us have a more natural, realistic view of this world, I think it helps in times like these. Because times like these are wholly driven by artificial systems, aren't they? Um, and they're far from nature. And if you force them back to nature, they don't measure up. Nature will say, I don't lie, and the systems will say, I'm totally built on lies. And the problem is, when human beings get so far from nature, they can't recognize what's right in front of their face anymore. And that's why we've been covering things like Russell, things like magnetism, because if a human mind gets framed closer back to a natural, non-fantasy-based view, I think it helps in every direction. But did we want to... Oh. We should probably mention what we're doing on Thursday, I would guess. Absolutely. Uh, we have episode 217 is going to be with Lena who uh, She is a returning guest, and she has uh, some advancements she's made in her own documentation. Uh, I know a couple of people I'm friends with who were looking to do this sort of thing. Mark Devlin, Amanda McLeod, and a few others were talking about this. Well, Lena Poo has done her own thing, which she has made available on her website, lenasfabulousfrequencies.com. Right. So basically what she's done is everyone remembers Cal Washington and the ideas of reversing liability. Uh, both Cal and Lena recognize that one of the problems in this is enforcement. Uh, what Lena has attempted to do is add enforcement as, I think she said, the 10th step. Anyhow, you'll hear it on Thursday if I got that wrong. Uh, I think it's the last step of her reversing liability around 5G, by the way. This is all around 5G, but the beauty of what she's written and what Cal's done is that it could be for inoculations or any other thing. 
probably. Um, but what's missing now is when you reverse liability, if the place that you've done that to chooses to ignore you, um, there's no enforcement. And it's a bit ironic that when they do it to us, there's enforcement all day long. Um, I'll tell you what, you can't live in a, two wor- in a world too long where what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. And that's where we are right now. And that's going to come to a head. Um, if you want to keep playing like there's rules, but the rules only apply to everyone else, there's only so long that building's going to stand. Because whether someone kicks it down or whether there's a flood and this place we call nature sweeps it away, one of those two things is almost certainly going to happen. Um, because one thing we know about nature is change. And one thing we know about change is it seeks equilibrium. Then it goes out of equilibrium. Then it seeks equilibrium. And right now, we're pretty frickin' far out of balance, I would say. Anyhow, anything you want to add here, Jason? Uh, by the way, the people have been doing protests against the beer bug. And uh, cheers to our friend Jaron, who actually attended the one in Sacramento the other day. Uh, that was that. That was Friday. And uh, I, I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet. I'm kind of curious to see how that went down. There have been some big protests, and Michigan is on the list. And not only that, everyone's been shown Spain and Italy uh, with completely vacant streets. And yet our good friend Giancarlo provided us some brand-new hot-off-the-presses video shot on the streets of Italy where the cops are absolutely trying to create a wall to hold the mass of people protesting in. So the picture that the mainstream media, as usual, is drawing is meant to crush your hope and your dream. Uh, The truth is, a lot of us are pretty fed up with what's gone on. So as we close out here, don't lose hope. There are millions of people thinking exactly what you're thinking. And by the way, if you get interested and you want to try to show if these jackasses are bouncing off the book of Revelation, more power to you. The more eyes, the merrier. If we can do that six or seven times without stretching, uh, I would say there's something to it. Uh, And if there is something to it, that gives a pretty easy to follow playbook i would say anything you want to add before i wrap up jason yeah last thing i want to mention is that this wednesday we're doing a live stream our usual live stream uh, it's we're calling it buying the balderdash where we're going to walk through everything that they've tried to convince us is real and is probably horse pucky from the beginning all the way up to today and of course i'll be inviting crow to that one because i'm sure he'll have a lot to contribute should he feel like joining us that night I don't know, man. Any show that's using words like poppycock and balderdash, bring them back the old way of things. I'm in, I guess. Um, <laughs> we got to get back to some kind of san- sanity in this world. Anyhow, all I can say is don't lose hope, man. You are not alone. There are literally millions of human beings thinking exactly what you are thinking. And don't be led to think you're cornered and alone and beat down. That's all nonsense. And also, Take care of fellow human beings. If you see another human being that needs help and you walk by them, that is inexcusable. And I'm not messing around because if that was you that needed the help, you'd be able to see the reality of the situation. And that proves what I'm telling you is true. So take care of each other. Don't lose hope. And don't let these fake kind of information systems get you down. The truth of it is... um, Bad things cannot be propped up forever, and I don't see anything good about what's going on. Last chance, Jason. Yep, keep your higher mindedness about you. I think we're coming towards the end of this. We're either going to see a big shift in society or they're going to have to back off. I can't say for 100% certain, obviously, what what <clears throat> that which, uh, which direction they're going to go with that, but I think enough people have pushed back that this might end up being more as a data collection and test run than a full-blown 
world takeover. But what do I know? I'm just a long-haired guitar player. Yeah, I think it's pretty clear they're going for the whole enchilada. And I almost forgot to mention uh, Sean, my friend Sean over at the SGT Report, uh, asked me on yesterday, and I went on 30 minutes after he asked me. That clip that we produced yesterday has over 100,000 hits on it already. Um, it's been pretty popular, and I try to moderate my message to the audience I'm speaking to, but a lot of people from SGT have come over to see what we're about, and that's what Building Bridges is for. Anyhow, that'll bring episode 15 of the Crow 777 live stream to a close. We hope to see you all on Thursday for the regular show, and above all things, take care of each other, and don't let fake news get you down. Truth is, the numbers are in our favor. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.